Hello and welcome to the podcast from Holy Trinity Westerhales. We're delighted that you've joined us for this week's podcast and pray that you would be blessed through it. When um, we were, were planning things for the, the summer, we looked at the, the Armour of God series and Naomi said, and I'm sorry, but you've got the and pray. And I thought, but isn't that the most important one of all? as Ian's just, just so well led us into it. So, as we come to look at prayer, a little bit about ways we can do it, when we might do it, and why we must do it. Let's just commit ourselves to Christ. Lord, in all that is said, in all that is heard, in all that is understood, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I mean, prayer is nothing new. We know that. We go right back to the very beginning of the Bible, and there was prayer. But we're also told, and I think there's a slide coming up that will say, when, what we're meant to do about prayer. We have to be alert, we're told. So that means it's something quite important. It's not something we can just sit back and say, right, okay, well, yeah, that's all right. Be alert. Watch out for it. Watch out for the need to pray, whether you are doing it, what you're praying about. That it becomes that you're praying for God's will, not your own. Be alert as to what you're praying. All kinds of prayers and requests, so not wanting a puppy is perfectly legitimate prayer to me. All kinds of requests. Because the pressure to get a puppy can be horrendous in some contexts. <laughs> You've been there, David? Oh, yes, many times. Right. And prayer is for and by all the Lord's people. So if we belong to Christ, we have no choice but to pray. We have to pray for everybody else. We don't, to me, have a choice. So where did this come from? Eddie was... and, and um, Share me with a prayer that they use at the Messianic Fellowship. Now, the Messianic Fellowship, in very simple terms, is a wonderful group of Jewish people who've realized that Jesus is the Messiah. Their eyes have been opened. I, I knew a gentleman many years ago who described himself as a fulfilled Jew. All that he'd lived in his Jewish heritage, he found was fulfilled in Christ. And I think that would that sort of sum up where they are. And they very much use the Jewish traditions because that is their culture, that is their tradition. That's what the first half of the Bible is all about. So we can't just put it to one side. So I thought, let's have a look at a little bit of this. So we've got some Old Testament examples. It's not just something that we think Paul said we have to do. So we've got the example of David. And in Psalm 55, we're told... As for me, this is David writing, I call to the Lord and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. Well, to me, if it was good enough for King David, it's good enough for us. That's a, a good place to start. Moving on in the Old Testament, we then hear the experience of Daniel. And I'll just read a few verses from Daniel 6. There'd been a decree passed that people were only to worship the king. So now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. 
Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So it was nothing new. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human except you, they'd be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. So even when the going got not a little bit awkward as it had done for David, but extremely tough, when your life was on the line, Daniel still went to his room, opened it toward the windows towards Jerusalem, and knelt down and prayed three times. Even when he was reported to the king, it was so important as a part of his faith, a part of his worship, a part of, from his, a part of his response to God, that he continued to pray three times a day. Moving on a little bit, a lot further. Who's the person whose example we want to follow? Jesus. What are we told about Jesus? We're told in various passages, too many to start reading out, that he spent time in prayer throughout the day. At different times of day, he went apart to pray. He went to the synagogue which would have involved the three times a day praying. And at times he went alone with his father to pray. And I don't think it's a huge jump to presume that he would also have used the prayers that were the prayers offered by David and by Daniel because he was Jewish. He was brought up in his Jewish tradition. It was all important because he was then going to fulfill that Jewish law. And this carried on into the early church. And I've got a few examples from Acts. We've got um, in Acts 2, Peter and the believers were gathered together on the day of Pentecost at the third hour, nine o'clock in the morning. I don't think it's a huge jump to say they were gathered for the Jewish nine o'clock prayers because they were Jews. Then we're here in Acts 3. Peter and John were going to the temple to pray at the time of prayer the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. And then in Acts chapter 10, Peter went up on the roof to pray at about noon, that third time. In the Church of Scotland, we don't have that discipline. I'll leave it to yourselves to see if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But in the Jewish religious observance, that is still required. They are required to pray three times a day. Other faiths also call their followers and adherence to pray at a regular time. But the ritual and the liturgy that is used by the people of Israel is the same as followed by David and Daniel and would have been by Jesus and by the early disciples. Now this goes back, and if you want, please don't ask me for more for detailed information. Ask Eddie or ask Ian Richardson because they know that inside out. What I've gathered that I think is enough for us all to, to make sure that this is, this is genuine. It was formalized and set about 450 BC by Ezra and Nehemiah. When they got together, this is it. This is the way we're doing it. Not the ad hoc, what Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
All the rest of them had done. David, Daniel. This is what the people were to do. And the prayers established then are still used by members of the Jewish community and also the Messianic community, people who have found that Jesus is the Christ. And the Amida, or a standing prayer, it goes through 19 aspects of God. It's saying, who is this God that we're praying to? What is he about? What's going on? And it looks at aspects of God and the associated blessings. Now, we know there are so many different names for God. We've got God the healer, God the father, God peace, God warrior, all these other names that we can go into. But we won't. We know one God, but with all these different aspects and facets. Now, I was thinking, how would people describe me? I would be called mother. I would be called wife. I would be called, no longer called daughter. I would be called aunt. I would be called sister. I would be called OLM. I would be called food bank lady. I would be called the woman round at number 19 with the noisy kids. So many different ways and aspects of me that people meet in different ways. And it's the same with these aspects of God. We come into contact with different parts of him. But this prayer, it moves the people of God from praise to petition to thanksgiving. It's recited silently by all members of the congregation with the gather in the synagogue or individuals praying alone. And then it's repeated aloud by the leader or the individual speaks it out aloud. And those gathered say amen. They join in the blessings. So uh, I've, I've got a, a translation of, of the prayer. And I'd, I'd just like you to listen to the, some of these attributes of God and think, which ones of these can I relate to? And which ones have I never thought about? Because the prayer, you don't pick and choose the bits that you get. You look at it all so that you open your mind to more of God. And Jesus, as God living amongst us, the Son of God, we all see, so see, all these attributes because he was fully God. So how do we see them? I'll read it. If you want to join in with the blessing at the end of each section, you can, and I hope we can work this through the slides, Chris. Starts off, open, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. The fathers. Blessed are you, Lord our God and God of our forefathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac and God of Jacob, the great, mighty and awesome God, God most high, the one who satisfies with good grace and maker of all, the one who remembers the commitments of our fathers and brings a redeemer to their children's children out of love for his own namesake. O king, helper, saviour and shield. Blessed are you, Lord, the shield of Abraham. God's might. Blessed are you, Lord, who brings the dead to life. Holiness. You are holy and your name is holy. All day long, your holy ones will praise you. Blessed are you, Lord, holy God. Knowledge. You favor mankind with knowledge and understanding and insight. Favor us with knowledge, discernment and insight. Blessed are you, Lord, who graces us with knowledge. Repentance. Our Father, cause us to return to your instruction and draw us near, our King, to your service, or bring us back in complete repentance to your presence. 
Blessed are you, Lord, who delights in repentance. Forgiveness. Oh, our Father, forgive us, for we have sinned. Pardon us, our King, for we have transgressed. Blessed are you, Lord, gracious and abundantly forgiving. Redemption. Look upon our troubles and defend our cause and quickly redeem us for the sake of your name, for you are a strong redeemer. Blessed are you, Lord, redeemer of Israel. Healer. Blessed are you, Lord, healer of the sickness of your people Israel. Prosperity. Blessed are you, Lord, who blesses the years. In gathering, blessed are you, Lord, who gathers the exiles of your people Israel. Justice. Blessed are you, Lord, the king who loves equity and justice. Vindication. Blessed are you, Lord, who breaks your enemies and humbles the arrogant. Righteousness. Blessed are you, Lord, the trust and stay of the righteous. <coughs> Jerusalem. Blessed are you, Lord, the builder of Jerusalem. Davidic reign. Blessed are you, Lord, who makes the horn of salvation to flourish. Prayer. Hear our voice, Lord God. Spare us and have mercy on us. Receive our prayer in compassion and favor. For you are God who listens to prayer and requests. Do not send us away empty from before your face, O our King. For you listen with compassion to the prayer of your people Israel. Blessed are you, Lord, who listens to prayer. Worship. Blessed are you, Lord, who restores your presence to Zion. Thanksgiving. We give thanks to you, for you are the Lord our God and the God of our forefathers forever. You are the rock of our lives, the shield of our salvation through all generations. We give thanks to you and praise you for our lives which are committed into your hands and for our beings which are in your charge and for the miracles which are with us daily, for your wonderful goodness continually working amongst us, morning, noon, and night. You are good, and your compassions never fail. You are compassionate, and your grace never ceases. We have put our hope in you forever. For all these things, our King, your name will always and forever be blessed, and everything that lives will give thanks to you and praise your name in truth. O God, our help and salvation. Blessed are you, Lord, whose name is good, how sweet it is to give thanks to you. Peace. Blessed are you, Lord, the one who blesses your people Israel with peace. And it finishes. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your presence, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the one who makes peace in his high places make peace for us all in Israel. And so say, Amen. It's a wonderful prayer. I don't think there's anything in that that as Christians we can't say amen to. Because Christ came to fulfill all that was in the, the Old Testament. However, as with anything, the church had to get its pennyworth in. And recent changes were made in the 16th century. And we I mean, don't rush into things. And adopted across the Jewish diaspora. However, just as with the Bible, 
there have been additional changes in language over the centuries. And then you get the tensions between, do we, we need to accommodate the, the feminist agenda or the liberal view or the conservative approach. We need to have gender neutral language and all the other agendas that we come up with. Now, does this not sound familiar in what we're having to face with our Bible? I mean, even in, in um, the writing in, in the New Testament, in, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that uh, Naomi read for us, scholars who understand these things more than me reckon that, that verses three to seven is an adapted version of the prayer to make it easier, to make it, to make it shorter, to make it something you can just do on the hoof, so to speak. And it talks about praising God, the Father of compassion, the Lord of all comfort, comforts us in our troubles, comforts any trouble that can come. So that covers a multitude of the aspects of the prayer. Um, if we're distressed, it's for our comfort and salvation. If we're, we're comforted, it produces endurance for those who suffer the same as we do. And we know that you share in our, our, our sufferings and you share when everything's going well, in effect. It brings it all together. A way to try to adapt what was there to what we need now. But there's also been a lot more problems with it because you're meant to stand for the prayer. So you look like one of the angels or beings from Ezekiel. I couldn't quite get my head around that one because they had wings and wheels as well as... In, but anyway, it's a standing prayer. So you're standing to honour God, whereas we prefer to sit down. And other denominations go down on their knees. You were to stand. But what was the right way to stand? And then you're facing, you have to face Jerusalem. Daniel did. His window faced Jerusalem. Was that just a, a lucky bit of building? Or did he make sure that he could? Now, if Oren was here, my grandson, he would challenge you about this because how do you know which way Jerusalem is? Because you can point to it straight across on a map. You can say it's somewhere to the east. But actually, Granny, did you know, and yes, brace yourself for it whenever he says that, that if we actually travel from one place to another, now we go around the, the great circles around the earth. To get over to America, you go up and over the North Pole very nearly. So to get to Jerusalem, although you'd be faced, if American Jews are wanting to face sort of south, they've got to go that way. So which is the right way to face? Now, does this sound familiar about the silly little things that we get all het up about in the Church of Scotland? Should we have an organ or should we have a praise band? Should we use the NIV or King James or whatever other things come up? How do we do communion? Well, we don't quite do it like that. They had the same issues. There were customs. There was times when you bowed and times when you stepped back and times forward. You could change the prayer depending on the season and uh, the festivals and if it was the Sabbath or not. And which language did you actually say it in? Now, it's a long while since we've had that argument in Christianity about... Well, actually, it's not that long ago, is it? Since Catholic services could be said in English if you lived in an English-speaking country rather than Latin. Some places in Scotland, you still have to deliver the service in Gaelic, which fortunately limited the places they could put me as an OLM. And it's nothing new, because even Jesus commented on tensions regarding prayer. When he was there going to the synagogue to pray, 
taking time alone to pray, observing the rituals of his, his religion and his tradition. He said in Matthew 6, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners so they may be seen. Truly, they've received their reward. I say, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. But Jesus did expect them to pray. He wasn't saying the prayers are wrong in the synagogue or on the street corner or in your room. It was how you do it. So he eased that tension. He made it so much easier for those who were with him and for those of us that have come to know him. He taught them how to pray in Luke 11. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And I'm sure these words are far more familiar to us than the Amida. Well, then, of course, there's another one version of it. We tend to go, I think, with more the, the Matthew version. It's much more the Scottish bit. Matthew chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as, in, as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, from evil. This is the prayer that has to be the basis of when we pray. When we are keeping alert for the fiery darts and all the other issues of the evil one that we heard, we've heard about in, in the armor of God. When we bring all kinds of prayers and requests, and it's to be said by and for all God's people. Jesus teaches us to approach God in praise. And as we thought earlier, this includes all these aspects of God, all these different facets of God that come closer to touch the hearts of some of us than others. Think about the headings in the, the standing prayer. Some of us we relate to, others we think, I'd never actually thought of God in that way. We're missing out if we don't explore this. We're to acknowledge that for those whose faith is in Jesus Christ, the coming of God's kingdom is something to look forward to, not something to be afraid of. We're to petition for our daily needs and forgiveness of our daily sins. Remember, Jesus was praying three times a day in the formal setting, plus whatever else. So three times a day do we need to pray forgiveness for our sins so that we can then forgive others. And there seems to be there's no choice. We are forgiven. That enormous debt by God. So we have to do that. And then we plead the plea not to be led into temptation, but be delivered from the evil one. And Jesus finished the prayer there. You notice he didn't put the last little bit on. We've had to go and change it. Just like the Jewish daily prayers were adapted over time. We add that closing section that puts on that final thanksgiving part. We've had the praise, we've had the petition, then we need the thanksgiving. The acknowledgement that God 
and he alone has authority, power, and glory forever. But for many people, this sort of set approach does raise questions. Surely we should just be led by the Spirit. No. Our prayer should be. But it's not an either-or. I think it's an and-but. If we are praying as Jesus taught us, regularly, in a ritual, in a liturgy, if we set our own times, I mean, there's nothing in the Church of Scotland that says you must pray at nine in the morning, noon, and three in the afternoon. Some people have wonderful morning quiet times. Other people have their time of prayer in the evening. I know a number of people who set an alarm on their phone at midday and they recite the Lord's Prayer. That is the key turning point of their day. It's nothing new. The monastic communities have always done that. There have been times for doing things. We looked in the evenings a while ago um, about sacred pathways, different approaches to a closer engagement with God. And, and one of them was, was called Tending the Garden of the Soul, which sounded a bit airy-fairy then and still does. But for me, yeah, we've got to work on this. It doesn't happen automatically that we do these things. Because the world gets in the way. The world pulls us away. Oh, really? Nine o'clock in the morning? No, you're on the bus to work, or you're in a meeting, or you're lunchtime. Well, it depends whether you have lunch or when. Three o'clock in the afternoon might work for some, but it might be midnight. It might be that you pray the prayer with a close friend, with a support group. And then that time for that could be any time of the day that you agree to gather either physically or virtually and pray together. The whole point of the Jewish prayers was to bring you into the closer presence of God. And that's the same for us. Sometimes praying can be difficult, but that's when we have to make the effort. That's when we have to put the work in. But it has to be more than just reciting set words. Going through the liturgy won't make any difference. We're called to put our faith in Jesus Christ. We have to believe that he is the Son of God, to understand what he's about. We have to stand firm in the faith that he gave his life to pay the, pay the price for my sin. Not he died to save the world, he died to save me and each and every one of us that he rose from the dead, so that through faith in him, we too can overcome death. That he ascended into heaven, and he will come again to judge and bring his kingdom in. And that he's present with us now through the Holy Spirit, guiding, guarding, and inspiring us. As we seek to live our lives for him, as we seek to follow his commands, when you pray, say. And what that implies. So I say we don't have to pray at set times or use set words and behaviors. Nowhere did Jesus say what we must wear, what we must do, whether we must cover our heads or not, kneel, sit, stand. He didn't say where we had to go. We don't have to come to a church. We don't have to go to our house. Go into your room and shut the door. To me, was saying just take time apart. Make it special. Make it between you and God. Not something that just becomes a habit in the worst sense of the, the ritual. It's routine. It's it, No. Make it something special because it is a moment, if just two moments, minutes out of your day 
when you actually seek the presence of God, where you seek his support, his care, his understanding for whatever is going on at that moment. And by the time you get to the evening, it's a different set of issues. And by the time you get to next week, but it's the same prayer that you're saying. And what better way before we go in to sing about Christ being this cornerstone, being the center, being the foundation of all that we believe, being the fulfillment of our faith, the fulfillment of everything the Jews have been praying for in the standing prayer over all these centuries and still are, that we stand together if we're able and we'll say together the prayer that Christ taught us. So if you'd like to stand, the words will come up on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen.